My conversation today with Natalie was truly a gift. She exudes aliveness and vitality, and it was contagious. She speaks to using movement as a path to healing and emotional release. She has deep roots in theater and dance and is a founding teacher and co-CEO of the class. She even offers a surprise for our listeners towards the end of this episode. Her vibrant energy reminded me, though, of just how beautiful the journey of life can really be. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Liz Severin, and on this podcast, we engage in conversation and learn from Hoffman graduates. We'll dive deep into their journeys of self-discovery and explore how the process transformed their internal and external worlds. They share how their spirit and light now burn brighter in all directions of their lives. Their love's everyday radius. Welcome, Natalie. Mm, thanks so much, Liz. Yeah, I am beyond excited to have you on today as a guest, and I'm hoping you can you can fill in. It always sounds better coming from from the guest mouth than mine. A little bit on who you are and what you do in the world. Sure thing. I am the co CEO and a founding teacher of something called the class. The class is both a method and an organization. The method is a workout that combines fitness and mindfulness. Um, And the idea being that you're using physical strengthening to come to understand your mind and your heart a little bit better. And we, as an organization, offer mindful movement practices, including yoga and meditation digitally, as well as in person in New York and LA. And and we're in 71 countries right now. So thrilled to uh, share a little bit about my experience with the class and um, how my Hoffman experience really crafted and, and shaped the last 10 years in which I've been part of it. I know. I can't believe it's been 10 years. Insane. What is time? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about how you even got started. If we take it back to the class, how you even got started in the class, how this, I mean, it's like a movement of, at this point, how it came to be. Sure thing. Yeah. In my twenties, I was a performer and my performance was always rooted in uh, physicality. I studied things like Suzuki and viewpoints and Katakali and uh, committed impulse and a bunch of different things that were all about storytelling coming from the inside out, you know, into the body's full expression. And it landed me in this funny niche of dancing for art pop bands. And by that, I mean, David Byrne, and the yeah, yeah, yeahs, folks who were looking for movement that had nothing to do with ballerina bun heads. <laughs> that really had to do with being wild and idiosyncratic. And, and it taught me so much about music and movement and community and crowds and storytelling. And in between my gigs, I was working at a Lululemon, folding pants and putting them away. And it was there that I met the founder of what would soon be called the class. Uh, Her name is Taryn Toomey. 
And she was developing a practice for her own self in the gym of her apartment building. She had had two kids and she was in the full emotional swing of what that means as a, as a woman, as a human, as a mother. And as a yoga teacher, the fiery feelings just weren't being expressed through that practice. So I joined her in the gym of her apartment building for two classes before she asked if, you know, if I had taught anything. And, and I said, no. And this was, this was before there was a website. This was before there was a name. There really was no business model because it wasn't intended to be a business. It was something that was helping her, her mind, her heart strengthening her body after having kids. It was something she was sharing with her friends. We would drop $20 into her kid's trick-or-treat bag. And that was all sent to her mentor in Peru. And at the time I said, yeah, let's, let's go. Some little whisper in the back of my mind is saying, why not? So um, I would set up her class and break it down in the morning and go work my Lululemon job and go perform off Broadway at night. And I just did that for a while until a couple months in, I said, you know, I think I get the hang of what you're doing. Can I teach you a class? That was back in 2013. So it soon had a name. It soon had a website. And uh, a couple of years into it, once we started to figure out what it was, myself and the other founding teacher, JC Gossett uh, and Taryn Toomey, and I started to bring on other people to help us bring it out into the world. I'm always so fascinated because movement is something that I've always struggled with in the sense that I've never, you know, I've always had I've had patterns around dancing and all of that. So I'm always just so drawn to people that are so in touch with that aspect of themselves. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about what movement and music means to you. Well, you know what? Let me get the controversial statement out of the bag, which is I can't stand fitness. <laughs> I have never liked working out. I'm not a gym rat. I don't want to go on a run. I just don't like working out. <laughs> and the difference between fitness and movement for me is the why. I'm not into this idea that you have to look a certain way to fit in. I don't like that. I'm, I, I reject it. Fitness always seemed to be about that. Maybe it was because I was an actor and there was so much attention on the physical form. And that was always very confusing and frustrating for me. Movement to me has always been about energy. It's always been about feeling better after my body moves. Uh, my mind always feels clearer. Whatever heaviness in the heart that I may have had feels set down. In my theater days, that expression was was about connecting to myself, connecting to storytelling, and connecting to others through artistic expression. Now, movement is about connecting to consciousness and connecting to my guides, to the unseen, to the challenges that I'm facing in my life. And it has found a very accessible form of moving on a yoga mat uh, through the class and through yoga and through what everybody would call a workout. <laughs> I just don't see it that way. I just see it as a way of being healthy and kind for my mind and my heart. And um, the, the, the byproduct is that my body stays strong. Oh, what a powerful distinction. I love that separating the two, right? All about the intention behind it. Yeah. You know, I grew up in LA and I think there was a lot of focus 
on the way you look. And I was so grateful that I had a mom and a dad who weren't really part of the whole Hollywood narrative. Um, my mom was a school teacher. And before that, she was a, a nun. <laughs> I have, all my aunts and uncles are nuns and priests on that side of things. And then my dad was, uh, it is still uh, a doctor. So everything was very much rooted in um, healing and connection and really stayed out of the fray, the Hollywood trap or magnetism around vanity. I think I got lucky there. Yeah. Well, and I'm interested just hearing that tidbit about about your mother being a nun prior to being a teacher. What was spirituality like at your home? Was it talked about? Was it something that we welcomed at the dinner table? Yeah. You know, even though she really was so committed to Catholicism, she didn't bring that into the family structure. So we weren't doing church on Sundays or anything like that. Her belief system and my dad's beliefs around spirituality and religion were very intimate and closely held, not in any kind of secretive way, but in one that just felt like that was almost like a lifestyle, the way that they believed and connected to a sunset or nature or to different challenges and how to overcome them or rise again above them. I did go to CCD. I was uh, baptized and I had my first communion, but on my path toward confirmation, the biblical stories weren't connecting for me. And I ended up <laughs> using my early teenage rebellious years, instead of taking drugs and doing all the other things that I think kids around me were doing, I decided to like renounce Catholicism. And, and I had an aunt who introduced me to Buddhism. And, and so that was my form of like really sticking it to the man. I was like, I'm not going to be Catholic. <laughs> I'm going to be Buddhist. And uh, it's so wild. And so I really tried it on. My, my mom supported me. And I think it's because I was choosing Buddhism over heroin. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if only all of ours had been had been so been so delicate, our teen rebellion years. Totally. She, was, she was like, go for it. And my aunt came down from San Francisco and she was like, well, you know, let me show you some stuff and see if you re like it. So I got into Buddhism for a little bit. And then right around the time that I started to learn about, you know, minimalism and paring down, I was like, I want my band posters on my wall. Bye. And then I really dove into teenage, <laughs> teenage them more heavily. But yeah, I was really grateful that I didn't, I didn't receive dogma. I received a, a real connection to sort of artistry. It actually wasn't Buddhism or Catholicism that connected me to spirituality. It, it was my dad's path. I was in biology in early high school. The teacher was like, look, you know, when you get a cut, on your arm, your body knows how to send red blood cells and how to create a scab and how to heal this place of infection. And I just thought that was insane. How does my body have to do that? And that was really the first time where I thought, huh, my mind isn't doing that. So what is it that's motivating this unseen act in me? And that was really how I connected to this notion of, of spirit for the first time. Oh, and also sounding this appreciation for your body. Yeah. Wow. Just magical what the body knows how to do without your mind having to direct it. 
in ways that are conscious, you know? Yeah. Well, and you said your dad, he was a physician. Yeah. Yeah. Still going at it. Still going. Um, well, natural transition, anything Hoffman, right? From parents to Hoffman. What brought you to Hoffman? Years later, I know, but my mother's passing. So she passed in 2014. And at the time, I was a producer for a class retreat. We call them the retreatment. I happened to have um, two guests on that retreat, Blake Mykoski and his then wife, Heather. And we got to chatting over dinner about my work, not only at the class, but around the grief I was experiencing around my, my mother's unexpected passing. And they told me about Hoffman for the first time. And they said, um, we'd like to sponsor you to go if you're interested. And if you are interested, you know, take it seriously. And, and we're happy to um, support you in getting there. And that was my first foray. I took a look at what the process is. I loved the application process. Ended up at St. Helena, I think, three months later. You might be the first that I've heard that said they, that you loved the application process. <laughs> You know why? The class was already getting me into the notion of, of pattern work and trying to dig into my childhood to understand why I am who I am. And there's so much alignment between our practice, our somatic practice, and what you know it said you guys were all about, which proved out to be completely true. Well, so talk to us about your process. Was there a moment, I always like to ask this question, was there a moment that landed you in the process where you were like, looked around and you either were like, yes, this is where I meant to be, or, you know, maybe what am I doing? Yeah, man. I think um, even though I had a excitement in the application process, once I was accepted, that's when like the terror set in. <laughs> what is it going to be like without my phone or my computer or moving my body or journaling. What is all of this, you know, reduction in my coping mechanisms going to be like? And for anybody who, you know, I'm sure much of your listenership is there because they have been to the Hoffman process, but for anybody who hasn't, the idea is that you go into retreat with strangers to get to know yourself better in ways that are deeply intimate and uh, profound. So I was nervous about what would I find? What would be uncovered? What did I not know about? I knew why I was going. I knew that I was locking horns with grief. But what I didn't know was what I didn't know. And that's what scared me the most. So pulling up in a cab and getting out and unpacking in this sort of no frills room and sitting down at my first meal I sat down next to a, a man who I still keep in touch with nine years later, who couldn't have been kinder. And that's when I thought, I think I'll be okay. Even if this one person is the only person that you know opens their heart to me, uh, I think it'll be all right. And it turns out all 39 other people did. So yeah, it just takes one person to be generous with, their, with themselves, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a very, that brings up very sweet and fond memories of, of my first, you know, night arriving there too, and, and all the feels. But I'm curious, what was it like 
doing the process, having your mom, you said your mom passed not even a year, right? And and you went, walk us through what that was like. Well, you know, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the Hoffman process, you really go through all of your emotions almost systematically. There's a real beauty to the science behind it all. I knew I, I was ready to cry. What I was not ready for was to meet my anger. My mom was an addict, which it's still hard for me to say or admit because so many of my family members are still alive and that's a hard thing for them to reconcile with too. She um, grappled with pain medication, uh, which of course, learning from our childhood, uh, it makes utter sense that I've dedicated my professional life to helping others experience the full breadth of difficulty and challenge in the mo- their own selves <laughs> come face to face with pain in their own way. But yeah, she used pain medication to anesthetize um, some of the things that she was going through. And I had no relationship to my anger about that. I was in deep denial around her grappling and how that affected our household in my childhood. I just completely idolized her. And in her passing, going through the Hoffman process, it helped me come out of my denial and out of the veils of protection that kept her in one light, two-dimensional. As I stepped more fully into my anger, it helped me see her as a human. And cracking that code was so hard, but ultimately so healing so that I could understand where in myself I was two-dimensional and hiding. And coming into relationship with my anger has been so positive in the long run for my romantic relationships, for my working relationships. It's really, it was the lock and key that opened up so much for me. Was there a part in the process that really did help you connect or give you permission, the permission to be angry or allowed you to come out of this fantasy of denial? I'm, I'm just curious, was there a part or a tool that really helped you get in, in touch with that anger? Yeah. The physical expression of releasing anger was so deep and only in really getting my body involved and connected to anger did the rest of the emotions open up. Almost soon after I was bellowing and yelling and in the fatigue of that afterwards, did I finally feel like I could cry? What a release. Oof, gosh. And what do you think you take forward from your Hoffman experience now? Fast forward, whether it's in your your work, you know, because um, when I hear about the class, for me, I just think, oh my goodness, what an incredible way of expression. How did the process shift whether it's your life, whether it's work? Well, from a work standpoint, it sort of fast-tracked my study of transformational experiences and practices. It fast-tracked my study of you know, somatics and embodiment. But on a very personal level, it reconnected me to my mother. I think I was connected to a version of her. It was one version of her. And after the Hoffman process and going through all of it, I felt connected to all of her and I felt empathy for her and I felt compassion 
for why it is that she needed to anesthetize and why it is she had certain moments that I bore witness to in my childhood and really forgiving her for being human. And that has helped me forgive and love and cherish my father in his living state while he's alive. And that has helped me understand the patterns that I received from my childhood so that I'm better equipped in my romantic relationships. I did go through a divorce with my first husband. And I think that was not because of Hoffman, but it was because I was waking up to myself and certain things I had ignored and needed to develop. And now in my relationship and in my engagement to my fiance, I just feel so much more equipped at taking responsibility for my own patterns, uh, recognizing what isn't mine, really, really staying steady in the practice of expressing myself. And I do that through the class primarily as my weekly, daily practice, because it helps me Speaking of the cycle of transformation, it helps me move my anger, my frustration, my stress, my worry, um, any grief that might be in there, and then connect to the compassion and aliveness and joy on the other side and the lightness on the other side. And, you know, at the class, we do that in like 30, 45, 60 minute chunks, depending on what I have time for. But that dedication and commitment to expression is what I found at Hoffman and what I continue at the class. Yeah, incredible. What are some ways that you would recommend that we as listeners, just we as people try to bring more expression into our lives? Are there any small or big ways that you have found over your your years of practice and teaching to be powerful? Yeah, you know... In the last nine years, I have made so many friends. Oh, you went to Hoffman? Let's talk about it. <laughs> you know, there's this real community that comes out of the experience, whether or not you are with that group, right? You're just connected just by knowing you've all, you know, met yourselves in a pretty intense way. And I think one of the things I hear from people who've been through the process is like, oh, I'm happy I had that. And for me, it's like those practices have to be consistent, maybe not in such a you know, deep seven day experience consistently, but some regularity in moving the body, breathing and expressing. That's what I connect to. And that's what I would suggest for um, everybody, no matter whether or not you've gone through the process, having a consistent practice where you allow yourself to connect to yourself, your worry, your stress, your joy, your life, so that you can not only show up for yourself, but show up for your community in better ways. And by showing up for your community, you show up for the, you know, the greater world more positively. So in a pithy way, I would say anything that connects you to yourself consistently is my highest recommendation. Yeah. What about any tips for sort of connecting inward with our body and more of a in the moment type way? I'm always looking for ways to kind of bring me back to presence. Oh, Two things. Even yesterday, I found myself in a very tense and heated conversation at work with coworkers. And as soon as I recognized that the temperature was rising, I did two things. One was check in with my navel, my belly button, and 
if it's tense, I am holding in some form. I'm either holding back my emotions. I'm either holding back my thoughts. I'm holding back my tongue, my speech, my expression. Some part of me is not fully in the room. So I let my belly go. I let my navel go. And it's, it's something that nobody sees in the room. It's not something I need anybody else for. It's just simply bringing my awareness to my navel and taking a deep breath and letting it go. And as soon as I can soften my navel, a whole slew of relaxation comes through my body if I let it, right? It's my jaw relaxes, my tongue relaxes, and suddenly some pocket of space enters my thought process. And there's a little bit more space emotionally for me to respond instead of react. And then the second thing I do is try to connect to the sense of aliveness in my hands and in my feet. In these times of challenge, whether it's in the boardroom or in a marital dispute or even just the ways in which we look in the mirror, um, we can forget that there's a whole intelligence below our neck (laughs) and connecting to the aliveness in my hands and in my feet reminds me that I have intelligence running through my body. I can get off the hamster wheel of my mind simply by drawing my attention further, deeper into my body. Incredible. I, um, so I took a class this morning to to prepare so that I could really speak to what it was because I've heard about it and it's come into my life in, in numerous ways. And so this morning I did one and you first off were just the most present loving, talented, gifted. I mean, I just didn't want it to be over, which is highly unusual for me in any sort of workout setting. I'm usually like five minutes in, are we done? So that spoke so much to it. But one thing was the, you empowered us during, and it was just virtual, right? On online, but empowering us to use our voice. And I'm curious, is that a part of every class or is that, what is what do you see as the importance of using your voice? First of all, Liz, thank you so much for trying the class. I'm just honored to be on the mat with you. Thank you. Sound is part of the method. It's part of every class. And the idea is that when we guide you into using a little bit of sound on the exhale, for some people that might sound just cuckoo, like, what are you doing? But if you relate it to athletes, it's not so crazy. If you think about a boxer or a tennis player, you'll hear them, you know, we say make sound. I think tennis players are often associated with like grunting, you know, they'll hit the racket and you hear them go, ah. And in athletics, you don't think twice. It's using sound to power their serve or their strike or their hit, whatever it is. And it is powering energy to move up and out of the body. Sound is vibration and vibration carries energy. So when we're doing a jumping jack or when we're doing a burpee and we're asking you to make sound on an exhale, it's not one sound, it's any sound. It's the sound of whatever you need to move at that time. It can be high-pitched, it can be low, it can be a laugh, it can be a guttural It's whatever your energy's full expression is. 
And if you have neighbors, and we hear this all the time because it is both in person and virtual. So if you're working out from home, a strong exhale will do the trick. And it's just about moving energy up and out of your body. And what is what is energy? Well, thought is energy. Emotion is energy. Stress is energy. It's all a form of, of energy. So using sound helps to activate it, move it, clear it, release it, and shift it. I just so appreciate your explanation of that in that way, because it's it's something that I hear as a teacher all the time. Oh, everything is going so great post Hoffman, but I'm not, you know, I'm not down with expression. I haven't found a way to bring that into my life. I don't really think I need it. And for me, I there was times post-process I could relate to that. And in my years since, I have found expression for me personally to be the thing that has unlocked the most for me. But I, I love the permission because at Hoffman, we talk about to make anything expression, you have to use your voice, your body, and intention. And it just sounds like there could not be more of a, of a parallel and almost a one-for-one of, of exactly the philosophy that you guys teach at the class in that regard. Yeah. I mean, if you think about what, what are the most cathartic things a human can experience? A belly laugh, a guttural cry, and karaoke. (laughs) Singing at the top of your lungs, you know, roll down the windows and hit a highway and throw your favorite song on. And it's because The sound of your laugh, the sound of your cry, the sound of you singing at the top of your lungs is doing that. It's moving your emotion. It's moving your expression. And you feel better whether you're on the other side of a laugh or a good cry or a belting, you know, rousing version of four (laughs) non-blondes or Rolling Stones or whatever gets you going. But on the other side of that sound is space in your heart, in your mind. It's a real connection to um, a felt sense of freedom. And even if you don't think you need it, that could just be your mind and your ego saying, I don't want to be uncomfortable for a second. But if you try it and you use a little bravery and a little commitment, you might just find that you did need it and you didn't know it all along. Yeah. Well, I got to admit, I cried this morning. (laughs) I didn't know I needed that. (laughs) Totally caught me off guard. But it was also this reminder for me of permission, allowing myself to try something and give myself the permission to just see what came. And it was such a gift. Yeah. Permission to have the full range of our humanity available to us. And I think that's where a lot of our suffering comes from. I know that's where a lot of the suffering in my childhood came from and still into my adulthood when I forget, right? We can even make a career out of these practices and still forget that it is in the permission and the acceptance of the full range of our human experience that we are liberated into this existence, liberated into our daily lives, freed from the real incarceration of our mind's opinion of everything, softening into our laughter and our tears and our compassion gives us back the 
ability to be here in a good way. Yeah, I appreciate that. Such a beautiful sentiment to think about. And is there any anything else that we didn't cover or anything else that you that you want to bring up that whether it's about you or Hoffman? There's a couple of threads that I'm pulling into this one. One is sort of my mention of getting divorced. One is my mention of, you know, daily practice and these kinds of things. And something I've I learned at Hoffman. I continue at the class, I I study all the time, is this idea that one doesn't need everybody else to change in order for change to occur. Something I've really learned is that if I change my own state of consciousness, if I become aware and awake to what's alive inside myself, then that's really all that's needed for a moment, for an argument, for a room to change shape. I think when we're in our relationships, we mirror the state of consciousness of the person that we're with. You know, like the other day, even I was crossing, you know, New York City is so crazy. I was walking on the way to work and this, um, guy slammed on his brakes and honked at a pedestrian and he said, Hey, you watch it. And the pedestrian goes, Hey, you watch it. It was the same tone and the same words. And it was just mirroring. And I find that that happens all the time at work and it happens all the time at home. And it happens all the time with myself looking at the mirror. And if I can take responsibility for my own state of consciousness, if that driver had said, Hey man, you know, look two ways. That was really scary. (laughs) Or the pedestrian had said, Oh gosh, so sorry. I wasn't paying attention. How different would that interaction have been? If just one person becomes aware, becomes awake and stops mirroring the consciousness around them and comes into the aliveness in their hands and their feet and softens their belly and takes a deep breath and connects to themselves, then there's no way that that momentum is going to continue and change is uh, inevitable. So I really want to thank Hoffman for you guys for helping me dive more deeply into my own responsibility and my own accountability for my state of consciousness. You know, even though I'm, I'm a leader at the class, it's, I want to also thank the class as a practice that connects me to the maturation and the evolution of my own relationship to myself and how I can affect change in the greater world around me because of these tools. Couldn't have phrased that in a more loving, kind way. I mean, I love, I love that story. And I think that it is something that we talk so much about. You know, it's like after you leave the process, it doesn't even matter if it's the process, right? After you, after exactly as you're saying, you, you become, you know, aware of something you don't know how things are going to shift when you enter it differently. I love, I love that story to, to really drive that home. Yeah. uh, You know, it just takes one person to come into presence for the charge in the room to dissipate, to change or shift or transform. That is the whole game. That's what it's all about. Whether it is Hoffman or the class or Qigong or yoga or meditation or uh, what have you, these practices are all, meant to bring us back, bring us home, right? 
Absolutely. Well, Natalie, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, learning more about you and exploring expression and what that means to you. So thank you so much for your vulnerability and your time today. Ah, Liz, thank you. And thank you to everybody that works at Hoffman. It was such a catalytic experience for me. And uh, I really owe so much gratitude to you guys for all the seen and unseen work. And and I hope that your listeners, um, if you have, have been to the, the process, oh, I'd love to connect with you. And if you haven't, I encourage you to go. And, and I also want to gift everybody listening today to a 30-day free trial of the class. I hope it speaks to you. I hope it helps you practice. It's the method, it's yoga, it's meditation. Um, and I think you'll recognize a lot of the things we talked about here. So if you go to theclass.com backslash Hoffman, theclass.com backslash Hoffman, um, you'll receive 30 days to, to hop on the mat with, with me and with our other fantastic teachers. So thank you, Liz. Natalie, that is that is very generous. And I, I really do hope that the listeners uh, take you up on that because like I said, this morning I did it and it was powerful and it was expression and it was beautiful. And thank you so much for that. Deep pleasure. Thank you, Liz. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi. Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.